From the Boston Globe, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. A lot of people make big changes after a breakup. They chop all their hair off or paint their apartment walls a totally crazy color. Sometimes people become vegans. And other times, vegans become total carnivores. As an advice columnist, I'm especially interested in the people who take it even further. They move across the country, or sometimes they go back to school and change their entire careers. Or in the case of one of my close friends, she went from climbing mountains in New Hampshire to deciding that she had to conquer Mount Kilimanjaro. My first thought when she told me this was like, okay, you are not doing this. This is how people die. Some backstory. This friend had been dating her boyfriend for years. They loved hiking together. And then she broke up with him, like, multiple times. But when it was over for real and she realized what she'd lost, she wanted him back. But at that point, though, he was done. So they're broken up, and she decides that to move on, she must hike Kilimanjaro. And I tell her, it is so clear that you are doing this for attention, like so he'll notice you and take you back. And she's like, no, 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 I'm doing this for me. And that made me think, do these big breakup accomplishments help ease heartache? Or are they really just ploys to get our exes back? In my friend's case, she did hike Kilimanjaro. And her ex did notice. They got back together and even got married. But this story is totally the exception to the rule. These kind of achievements almost never bring people back together. My friend says, though, that Even if they hadn't fallen back in love, the hike would have helped her get over her breakup. It was something she could be proud of, on her own. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. So I asked my sister Brett about the idea of breakup accomplishments, because I ask Brett about everything. I hear a lot from letter writers about this period after a breakup, where I think they're going to be all in bed crying and immobile, and in fact... They wind up doing this massive thing, like some of them want to buy property, some of them want to get a degree, some of them want to change their entire appearance. What do you think that is? Like you are going to show them that they're idiots because like look what they missed out on. And at that point you have something else to show for it, like an MBA in my case, or like in, you know, oh, I I wrote this book. Like going to the gym for three hours a day and like getting yourself a six pack and like, you know, go, go doing some radical changes with your diet or redecorating or moving or you have raised your value, right? And you have also like channeled all of your not so crazy manic energy. Because really it's kind of like that or like rocking back and forth in a corner and who wants that? So if you've been following along with the podcast, you know what I'm going to tell you. Cry, be upset, eat the junk food. But I agree with Brett. Nobody should be immobile and writhing on the floor in pain and sorrow forever. This idea of using post-breakup time to raise your value is honestly really appealing. I'm not going to tell you that running a marathon will be the cure-all for your breakup. Obviously, that's not true for everyone. Although, if it is true for you, congrats on your six-pack. I'll admit that this next story is about getting in shape after a breakup. But... It's actually about much more than that. A quick warning. There's some sensitive material in this story about a possessive partner that may be upsetting to some listeners. Hi, Laura. Hey, Meredith. How are you? 
When it comes to your most recent significant relationship, do you remember how it started? I do. We actually met online, the way I feel like every modern-day love story tends to start today. Laura's in her 30s and works in advertising. She meets this guy on OkCupid. They message back and forth. At first, she isn't sure he's worth a date. But when they meet up, it's really good. Fireworks. He was really, really attractive. Like, very attractive. Like, oh my goodness, when I saw him, wow. From the start, their connection is very intense. Tell me more about the fireworks. I felt like when I got him to smile and when I got him to laugh, that it was important because he was only doing it for me. You know, it wasn't just something that he gave freely to everyone. The relationship speeds up quickly. Laura hits major relationship milestones with the guy almost immediately after they start dating. I mean, if you want the truth, I gave him a key to my house after our second date. It goes on like this, intense, for three and a half years. And then it gets even more serious. I had planned a 30th birthday party for him and invited all of his family and all of my family to get together at a really nice restaurant in Boston. And for whatever reason I ended up telling him about a surprise, it's mostly that I'm terrible at keeping secrets. <laughs> that's that's what I'll say the reason is. And um, so we're at the dinner. It goes off really well. He pretends to be surprised. And my family's really happy. His family's really happy. Awesome evening. We sing happy birthday. He blows out his candle. And... I look at him, and he says, I have something to say. And there's literally sweat dripping off the bridge of his nose. I was like, you do? That's so weird. You never say anything in public. This is bizarre. And he was like, you make me so happy. Look at what you've done bringing our families together. Um, And he got down on one knee and asked me to marry him. Laura accepts his proposal immediately. She's thrilled. There's an iPhone video of the whole ordeal. Her sister is screaming gleefully over Laura's yes in the background. It's a happy moment. But as those months progress, and Laura and her boyfriend start planning the wedding, those fireworks she used to feel give way to something darker. As the wedding planning continued, things weren't great anymore. Um, It kind of turned into something where I felt more like a possession than a partner. Um, And as we got further and further and further down the line of planning, I mean, I had my venue, I had my dress, we had our rings, we had our JP, our photographer, uh, everything. We picked the date of November 11th. So 11-11, kind of like 11-11 Make-A-Wish. I have our wedding date tattooed on my back, and he has it tattooed on his forearm. It says 11-11-17 in Roman numerals on my back. At what point in the relationship did things stop being fireworks and perfect and spending all your time together in bliss? I think that part of our problem was that it was always fireworks. It was very passionate, and sometimes when things are passionate, you have the high highs and the low lows. Laura feels like she is slowly becoming more dominated by her partner. He says things like this. Hey, could you not do that anymore? Someone who's going to be my wife doesn't behave in XYZ manner. He didn't want me to wear skirts that were above my knee. He didn't want me to look up 
from my feet when we were at the gym. He didn't want me to go anywhere without him unless I was going to visit my family. Um, He didn't want me to have male friends anymore. And that includes like on social media and Facebook. It's so hard because I feel like I feel like I make excuses for him and almost like justify why I allowed something to go on for as long as I did. It wasn't that overt in the beginning, but it was definitely something that was always there to one extent or another. So your ex became more controlling. Were there other problems? Yeah. It it was like I couldn't do anything right. He would take qualities that initially attracted him to me and turn them into negative. It would be, I love you so much, but you're so friendly and other people are going to see that friendliness and they're going to love you too. And I don't want that. I love you so much and you're so pretty. I don't want someone else to see that prettiness and try to take you away from me. It's great that you're so outgoing, but if you could only be that way for me. Laura says that if another guy liked one of her Facebook photos, her boyfriend would ask her to block or unfriend him. Or if another guy talked to her when the two of them were in public together, her boyfriend would be intentionally mean. The behavior escalated. Laura felt trapped. So she confronted him. I would say to him, what would you tell your sister? What would you tell your daughter if you had a daughter? What would you tell your mother if she was dating someone who treats them the way you're treating me? Laura says he agreed with her that it was wrong, but things didn't improve. And she says she wasn't ready to walk away or to tell people she loved what was going on. And I wasn't ready to hear it, and I didn't want anyone to judge him for it or to make like social interactions awkward with our families, so I decided to keep it to myself. Laura says the two of them would have these weeks of being intensely in love, followed by weeks of fighting and control. Those highs and lows were constantly in flux. I couldn't even walk in the door from work knowing who I was going to face that day when I came in and what I was going to I'll use the phrase get in trouble for because that's what it felt like I was going to get in trouble for something, whether it was if I didn't respond to a text fast enough or I wouldn't send him a picture of exactly where I was fast enough. I mean, these things, they just piled up and piled up and piled up. And I mean, I just got to a point where I was walking on eggshells and every day of my life I I was pretty miserable and I'd been thinking about it for a long time and as our wedding approached, it was only three months away. Um, I just felt sicker and sicker and sicker inside me, and I, I just knew that if we continued, we were going to end in divorce if we were on the same path. Things in the relationship started to escalate further. Laura says one night she got a message from a prospective client at work on her phone, and her boyfriend sees the message and takes the phone from her. He starts to cross-examine her. Why are you talking to this guy? Why is he communicating with you? Laura defends herself. This is my job, she says. This is what I do for work. She asks for her phone back over and over. Laura says at this point, he throws the phone across the room. I have a dent in my wall to this day um, because he broke my phone. There's another incident after this one that makes Laura want to halt everything. He tries to police what she wants to wear to the gym. This time... Laura's had it. So I decided to kind of break my code of silence and... She goes to her parents and confesses everything that's going on. And after seeking support, she decides it's time to end things. I told my ex about it, and 
told him that I was no longer going to be following his rules because they weren't right and I wasn't doing anything wrong and that I was happy to work with him on things, but I, I wasn't just going to blindly say, okay, I'll do whatever you say anymore because it was like crushing my spirit, to be honest with you. And he said, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, then you're not the one for me. And he left. We were supposed to be married um, this past November. At first, Laura and her then-fiancé try counseling, but it doesn't work. The relationship comes to a firm and final end. It's extremely painful. After all, they'd been together for more than three years. But then, during this time of post-breakup hell, Laura discovers a new passion, one she's never considered before. While they'd been planning their wedding, Laura and her ex were seeing a trainer together. Laura says the trainer was one of the only other guys her boyfriend had allowed her to be around. So I had, you know, shot my trainer a note and just been like, hey, this is what's going on. Unfortunately, there's no wedding anymore. So we've been working together for a period of time now. I don't know if I'm going to continue. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I should just stop. And what does the trainer say? He says... First, I'm so sorry to hear that. I had no idea. I wish you nothing but the best, but I think that you are too good to just stop. I think you have a great foundation for a bodybuilding competition, and I think you should think about continuing your path and jumping into a show. Laura's, like, completely thrown by this. She's like, me? A bodybuilder? And so your trainer says to you after this wedding is canceled— how about bodybuilding instead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yes, let's do it. I like, was so into it. Like right off the bat. I probably thought about it for about a week and I ate ice cream every day for that entire week. No joke. Cried my eyes out and just ate bowl after bowl of ice cream. And I was like, you know what? I like goals. Let's do it. As crazy as it sounded to Laura at the time, she also knew bodybuilding could be a perfect outlet. She starts training almost nonstop. She's at the gym six days a week. She's working like every single muscle in her body. She changes her entire diet. I went into a metabolic state called ketosis, which is where you reduce all carbs so you don't eat any carbs. It's under 20 grams of net carbs a day. This honestly gave me the tunnel vision that I needed to really battle through what was a traumatic period in my life and having something to focus on and devote all of my energy towards and almost get my mind right. It's like if I can do this one thing right, it's going to have a ripple effect and go into every other area of my body. So the day comes for Laura's first competition, and she's terrified. Laura's friends and coworkers all show up to support her, far more people than she thought would show. I think there were 11 people from my work that drove to Providence, Rhode Island to see my show. And my number was 50. And they were all yelling, you've got this number 50. Number 50, that's the shot. That's the spirit. Like they were all screaming for me and I could hear them. And it made my smile so big. And I I could hear individual voices. And I was just, I was just 
blissed out. It was great. At one point in the competition, each competitor walks out alone in front of all of the judges. Okay, so I had on fake eyelashes, which just, I, I mean, I'm not someone who wears a lot of makeup or in her everyday life. So when you make these like little changes, I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. I felt like a, a supermodel. Um, and you walk in and you have your spray tan and you're wearing like a, a black satin robe to like hide your bathing suit because there's a mentality that even though you're there to be critiqued, you don't want anyone to see what you have until it's showtime. The song that I picked to do my tea walk to um, was Imagine Dragons. I think it's called Thunder. And there's a line in it that talks about how you're on stage smiling and someone else is in the nosebleeds. And that's just, I, as soon as I heard that line, I was like, yes, that is what I'm doing because I am on stage smiling. I don't know where you are today, but you're not even in this building anymore in my mind. Laura came in third place that day in her first competition ever. And here's another thing about this story. Remember those tattoos Laura and her ex got to mark their wedding day? The ones that spelled out 11-11-17 in Roman numerals? Internally, I feel like it was, it was fate. The day of my competition was November 11th, 2017. 11-11? 11-11. No need for tattoo removal at that no. point? No. Nope. Not at all. Because I'm... I feel really good having that date tattooed on my back, knowing that it's the day I made my stage debut. It is crazy that you have a tattoo with a wedding date of a date that is canceled, and then the first competition is the same date? I know. And I am thrilled that that date turned into something that I wasn't wallowing in misery, but that I was really owning who I am as an individual and feeling like myself for the first time in a very long time. This is my life now, and I am so happy that I did it. If we did not have our breakup, I would not have found this passion. And I feel like I, would, I wouldn't allow that type of treatment. I wouldn't give someone that type of discount on my value again um, after having this experience. Like, I, I know that I'm powerful mind, body, and spirit, and I'm not going to let someone stifle that. That's not bad. No, first, it's not bad. For a first competition. It's not. No, it's definitely not bad for my first competition. I'm going to win this year, though. <laughs> Mark my words. We're putting it on record. I'm going to win this year. In the past, I've had my doubts about whether friends and letter writers who do big things, make big changes, are really doing what's best for them to recover from heartache. But after hearing Laura's story, I got thinking that a constructive life project might just be what our broken hearts and overactive brains need. Laura's story may be a special case. And if you're in a relationship like that now, you should absolutely seek help. Don't wait. After any breakup, though, we all have this energy we need to channel somewhere. I'm not saying you have to use it to change who you are. Climbing mountains and flexing in a bikini isn't for everyone, certainly not for me. But think about what you've always wanted to do. Imagine a project or accomplishment that would thrill you. 
why not give yourself license to do it? This is the time, right? Go ahead, like today, and raise your value. Don't do it for someone else. Not an ex, a partner, a friend. Do it for yourself. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe. The podcast is produced, edited, and engineered by Amy Padula. Audio mixing by John Jenkins. Music by APM. Our executive producers are Scott Hellman and Janice Page. Have you had a massive accomplishment after a breakup? Tell us about it at loveletters at boston.com. On our next episode, I'll explore probably the most common coping mechanism after a breakup, wallowing in music. We'll hear from a woman whose only way past a dying relationship involved a cathartic karaoke experience. Be sure to subscribe to Love Letters on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing and love the advice, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love validation. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.